Well, good morning. We're so glad to have you here at Reston Bible Church. We are in the book of Philippians today, chapter 4. If you have a Bible, we'd love it if you would turn there. We'll get there in just a moment. I have a lot of information that I'm going to tell you right now about Easter week. All of this will be on the website. It's not all on the website just yet. I apologize. The fact that it's not is my fault. I take responsibility for that and the lack of effective communication with our tech team. But on Saturday, March 23rd, that's the day before Palm Sunday, many of you have been asking about when I'm going to address the issue of what's going on in Israel, how do we see all of this. Well, Joel Rosenberg is going to be with me that Saturday morning from 10 till noon. We're going to be here on stage. It's going to be an interactive interview sort of thing, talking about how do we navigate uh, what's happening over in Israel right now. On Sunday, Palm Sunday... Joel is going to be preaching that morning on what God is doing in the land, in the lives of Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Really excited about what he has to say that morning. Now that week, that's Holy Week, we have several things that we want you to know about. And we're going to ask you to clear your schedule, if at all possible, suspend your shepherd group if you have to, so that you can make these different uh, gatherings. The first one is going to be Thursday, Thursday the 28th, Aaron Abramson from Jews for Jesus is going to be coming to talk about the gospel in the feasts. He's going to talk us through the seven major feasts of Israel. He's going to talk about the ones that have been fulfilled and how they have been fulfilled. You already know that Passover has been fulfilled in Jesus. We've talked about that before. What are the feasts that are yet to be fulfilled and what are we looking for in the projection into the future? It's going to be an exciting time to be together, seven o'clock on Thursday, March 28th. On Friday the 29th, that's Good Friday. We will be gathering together again here in the uh, main sanctuary at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a very interactive experience for you. It's going to be different than what we've done in the past. We're trying to kind of make things a bit different, but still celebrate, commemorate Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we have three services, 7.15, 9 o'clock, and 11 o'clock. Please make note of that. A little different than typical, of course. And we want you to all be able to be here. You will have a lot of people that day. Well, we are in a series in the book of Philippians. The entire series is called For To Me To Live Is Christ. And everything we've been talking about in these weeks and will continue through the end is really what does it mean for Jesus Christ to live through me? We're talking about the implications of that. So in week one, we talked about how all circumstances God has designed for us as he lives through us to advance the gospel, whether they're good circumstances or difficult circumstances, whatever they are, our circumstances are to advance the gospel. In the second week, David talked about Christ and humility and how Jesus emptied himself and came to earth, which is a powerful message. Week three, we talked about the relationships with Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and how their faithfulness for the kingdom as they lived out for to me to live is Christ. They, they characterized for us a variety of character qualities that we should exemplify in our own journey. Last week we talked about for, me to, for to me to live is Christ means that I am righteous in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that causes us, motivates us, fuels us to press on to our ultimate salvation in heaven with Jesus at the end of the day and that we press on through the li- this life that we have here. Today we're going to jump to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> going to read multiple verses and then we're going to unpack what it is that Paul is trying to teach us today. And that our specific title is the battle for the mind, the antidote for anxiety. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Perhaps one of the most warm, endearing 
verses in the entire Bible between Paul and those who follow the Lord Jesus under his leadership as he's gotten to be an old man now, many, many years under his belt serving as he sits in a Roman jail. He, he says, you, you are some of the most valuable to me, my brothers who I long for. You, in your, in your following Jesus, are like a crown of joy to me and I am grateful for you. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, there's much to consider in this passage today. As we look into what does it mean for us to live a life in Christ our declaration to live as Christ, how do we live in such a way that we can respond and live under the weight of the things of this world? Lord, the anxieties that we face, the the troubles that we face are, are difficult, are heavy at times. But Father, you've given us a template right here in Philippians chapter four about how it is that we can and should live by the power of your Holy Spirit as an antidote And largely, Lord, it is a battle for our mind. How we approach life, how we think about you and us and the world in which we live. We pray that you'd instruct us today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, one of the most foundational verses for this passage is found in verse 6, which says, do not be anxious about anything. That's our starting point today. And then we're going to launch into the kind of the antidote For when we face anxiety in this life, the word for anxious is to be pulled in different directions. It's these competing things that challenge us, the the struggles that we face. And I cannot overstate the significance of this for us today. Statistics tell us that one in three adults will be diagnosed with anxiety in their lifetime. That theoretically is at least a third of you sitting here today. We do know that The number one emotional slash mental health issue in our world today is anxiety. It is a billion dollar industry in medications, in counseling, in the loss of revenue and income for people because of the challenges that they are facing in our world. The fracture of the family, real relationships being displaced by the virtual, personal finances, global uncertainty, political strife, Employment uncertainty, catastrophic weather, health crisis, safety in our schools, the growing hostility toward Christians in our land. And we could go on and on and on. Many of us today face elevated levels of adrenaline that make it difficult for us to relax, shut off, either get to sleep or stay asleep. I won't ask for a show of hands. People who work while they are on vacation... Some of you are getting an elbow from someone sitting next to you right now. It's no wonder 
We're struggling. The average person makes 35,000 decisions every day and over 200 of them are related to food alone. You have 4,945 options for breakfast cereal, for goodness sake. (laughs) Throughout human history, life has always been hard. But it hasn't always been as stressful as it is today. Hard and hard work are different than stress. And you and I face a level of stress in our world that is unprecedented in human history. High schoolers today are constantly stressed about what the next step is, talking about what their GPA is and so forth and so on. I have to tell you that to this day, I have no idea what my GPA is from high school. No idea. It didn't matter 46 years ago. I had A's and B's and I did okay on the SAT. That's all there was. And it wasn't stressful like it is today. Many of you have gone out to eat with a spouse or with a friend. And before too long, as we jump into this time together around the table, it becomes very stressful because the waiter keeps coming back asking if we're ready to order. And at least one of us around the table isn't ready and continues to not be ready. I can't decide. I can't decide. And suddenly this relaxing night out has become stressful. Will you just decide what you want to eat? You apparently have too many options. Is that a man with an indecisive wife out there? I don't know. Okay. Dr. Archibald Hart, Christian psychologist and focus on the family contributor, in his book, The Anxiety Cure, says this. He says, anxiety is not a disorder that afflicts the weak, the fragile, and the delicate. Often there is not the slightest hint of previous anxiety. This is the disorder of presidents, CEOs, VPs, ladder climbers, powerhouses, dynamos, live wires, and go-getters. The reason? Anxiety is a disease of stress. High-pressure jobs take their toll more than low-key jobs. People who are caught up in the pursuit of excellence are particularly vulnerable because they can't see the danger signs early enough. Many of you here today just believe that you're high capacity. And for a while you will be until you're not. And our series on hope, our series on the Lord's Prayer, our series on rest, all of these are undergirding discussions from the Bible about how you and I are going to be able in the power of the Holy Spirit to navigate the stressful times in which we live. Dr. Hart. Dr. Hart goes on to say, your mind and body were designed for camel speed. Your life is moving at the speed of a cheetah. No wonder you're having anxiety attacks. And just for the record, the top speed of a camel is 40 miles an hour and the top speed of a cheetah is 70 miles an hour. Not too long ago in our series on rest, we used a different metaphor, the metaphor of airplanes, right? We're all trying to live like we're the Concorde when really we're just a prop job that is just trying to get there. And we're living at a rate of speed that we were never designed to live in. The Bible has a lot to say about this in a variety of other passages. We see people throughout the scriptures who battled with the weight of life. We see it in the Apostle Paul, who in 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we, were ex- we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly har- 
burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. There are three critical words in this passage. The first one is affliction, which talks about the comprehensive physical, mental, social, or economic adversity that we face. Paul was under a variety of afflictions in his journey. It felt like a burden. The word burden there means to conceive of as bearing a burden too heavy to bear. Paul was saying all these afflictions that we're facing were overwhelming us. They were too heavy. And the result of that was that I, even I, the the great apostle Paul, said that we despaired, which is to lose one's emotional or mental composure. Paul said we are falling apart because of the weight. And the Bible brings no shame to people who battle with the struggles and the difficulties of this life. There's no shame to be had there. There are biblical solutions that we're going to talk about today in an effort to move forward. But if Paul was willing to say, hey, we are under a pile, it's been so hard. If that isn't enough for you, let's just go to the life of Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the garden. He knows he's getting ready to go to the cross and he is going to bear the weight of the sin of all humankind. And how did Jesus in his humanness respond to the weight of the moment in his life, in his world? Verse 44. It says, in being in agony, agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now many scholars believe that what was happening here is a very real, rare human condition called hematidrosis. We're under great, enormous amounts of pressure. The capillaries in the forehead burst, mixed with sweat of anxiety that then dropped to the ground as literal drops of blood. Jesus was under so much stress about what was coming in his life. Something that none of us could ever dream of bearing. And it is that Savior that reaches out to you and says, in your stress, in your anxiety, in the weight of your world, there are things that we can do together to walk successfully in this life right here in the book of Philippians. There are four things we're going to cover today, four critical elements. Two are before our verse about anxiety. Two are after our verse about anxiety. And we're going to jump in verse f- chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The first antidote to anxiety in this world is the choice to rejoice. And it is a choice. The choice to rejoice, the daily decision that no matter what I face, I will rejoice in the Lord. I have e- eternity secure in heaven. I have the Holy Spirit that lives within me. I have community that supports me. And because of all of that, I can choose to rejoice in the Lord. And I know that when that challenge arises, that unexpected thing occurs, when you're faced with a tragedy, the last thing you want to do is rejoice. I get it. That is part of the human condition. But you do have an option. You can choose to rejoice. And we are to enjoy, rejoice in the Lord, it says. The in the Lord is that positionally we exist in Jesus Christ. This signifies that we rejoice in the realm or the sphere in which we exist, which is Jesus. Paul tells us 
how we are to rejoice or how often we are. And he says always. He says always. Now, I would love to find a original language Greek loophole in the word always. But I can't. The word always here simply means always. It doesn't give us an out. How many of you here today are glass is half full sort of people? You're the optimist. You got, I'm, we're good. Wow, way less. Put those hands up high, boldly. Okay, there we go. Way more. Okay, that's better. That's better. God bless you people. Because I know that in your life, you have a glass is half empty person who's consistently criticizing you for being overly idealistic and a whole list of other things. But I would like to wag my finger today at the glasses half empty people. Now I feel fully comfortable doing this because I am a glasses half empty person. So I get you. I'm just telling you that that's a detriment and it's not the way Jesus would have us to walk. Jesus is the ultimate optimist. Jesus is the ultimate glass is not only half full, the glass is full, full. Because he knows the end of the story. He knows the end of the story. And we can rejoice in that. You know, as a glass is half empty sort of person, one of my, one of the jokes in our family over the course of time grew up out of a, of a young childhood show that we used to watch, which was Gulliver Travels. It was a cartoon. You have Gulliver and all the Lilliputians. And one of the little Lilliputians, his name was, do you know who, what it is? His name was Glum. Do you remember Glum? And what were the two things that Glum always said whenever they faced any kind of challenge? Two things. The first one was, we're doomed which was followed up by, it'll never work, whatever the plan is going to be. And I admit to you that many times in my life, the we're doomed, it'll never work sentiment is where I go first. Can I just tell you that the daily choice, no matter what you face to rejoice, will counter your tendency, if you are a glasses-half-empty sort of person, to respond with a we're-doomed mentality with the challenges that you face. It's a battle for the mind to choose to rejoice because you have cause to in the midst of your difficulty. Number two, in this battle for the mind, not only are we to choose to rejoice, we are to recognize and embrace the reality that the Lord is at hand. Verse five, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We can live without anxiety. We can counter the anxious moments of our lives when we recognize the promise of God that he is near. He is with us. The word near means close. It means close in time, place, and relationship. Take that to the bank. It is a promise. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus has drawn us near to him. Matthew 28, 20 says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Until I return, I am there. I am walking with you. Now, one of the great challenges in the body of Christ is the tension between what we know to be true and what we feel to be true. Some of us are more emotionally oriented. Some of us are a little bit more spiritually sensitive than than others, perhaps. Some of us say things like, oh, I just felt the presence of the Lord in service today. Did you? And others who are receiving that question go, 
Yeah, not so much. I mean, it was good and all, but I didn't feel anything. Some of us say, yeah, the presence of the Lord, I just feel it in my bosom. And others are like, yeah, I feel something in my bosom too. I think I'm just hungry. I don't know. (laughs) And I had a woman after the first service come up to me and say, can I just say thank you for that? Because I have often felt that there is something wrong with me. Because others talk about how they feel the presence of the Lord. And I often don't. But it doesn't mean my love for Jesus and my relationship with him isn't any less real than the person who says, I felt the presence of the Lord today. And I don't want to undermine the presence of the Holy Spirit and the experience any of us might have with him. But this isn't about feelings. It's about our understanding of the promise that the Lord is near, whether we feel his presence or not. Whether we feel his presence or not. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The antidote for anxiety is largely in the battle for the mind. The first tactic in our journey in the battle for our mind is the choice to rejoice each and every day, no matter what we face. Number two, it's to embrace the truth that the Lord is near. And number three, in this passage, following our encouragement to not be anxious, we see a whole verse dedicated to prayer from a variety of angles. We should be in prayer, verse six. It says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests, let your requests be made known to God. Now in everything, throughout the day, no matter what we're facing, we are to do with several things related to prayer. That first word for prayer denotes a spirit of worship. It's a kind of a general prayer. It's kind of a global picture idea of prayer, but it talks to us about having a worshipful spirit. The very thing we talked about in our series on the Lord's Prayer. The second word, that word supplication, is not my favorite word when it comes to a discussion on prayer. The Bible, and in the Bible discussion, it's the only time we use the word supplication. It's often unfamiliar to us. It simply means petition or request. It means coming to God with our needs. And when my kids come to me, they don't say, Dad, I have a supplication that I'd like to come before you with. They say, I just have a question. I have a request. I have a need. I have a petition. That's a more common word. Thanksgiving is the expression of a grateful heart. That as we come to God with our anxieties, with our stresses, with our struggles, with our frustrations, we are to do that with a spirit of worship, bringing our needs before God in a spirit of gratefulness for what he can and will do. We make our requests known to God. I have to admit to you, over the last couple of weeks, for a variety of different reasons, my morning quiet times have been very disrupted and distracted by, dis- by different anxieties and concerns. I sit down in my quiet time every place, same place every day. I get my music started. I have my coffee. I light my candle. I get my Bible. And I open up God's word. And lately I've found myself thinking, oh, I got to take care of that. Oh, you got to. Oh. And I spend myself, I, I find myself struggling through worrying about things more than I find myself praying about them. Does that ever happen to you? If many of us were walking through life with our check, with, walking through life with our check engine on the dash of our life lit up, and we think, you know, they tell me that if it's lit up, that's, that's not good. But if it starts blinking, that's really bad. So as long as it's not blinking, I'm okay. No, 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 no. And instead of addressing it, we just put a little piece of duct tape over, duct tape over it so we can't see it anymore. As if it's going to go away. 
And sometimes it's just that your gas cap is loose and you forgot to tighten it too much. But sometimes it's more important than that. It's a little bigger than that. We just can't know. We just can't know what the check engine light means. And until we're willing to sit and spend time with God, and I want to challenge you. You know, they say it takes 21 days to create a habit. And I want to challenge you to to pick a, a very specific time, an amount of time that you spend with God every day. If you're not spending any time with God, maybe you need to start with five minutes, 10 minutes. Maybe it's 15 or 20. Because you cannot effectively lay your anxieties before the feet of God and find a proper antidote to anxiety if you are not spending time in prayer with him regarding these things. The antidote for anxiety, the battle for the mind. Number one, choose to rejoice in the Lord. Number two, Know that the Lord is near. Number three, pray. And number four, we are going to take this element of win the battle for your mind more deeply in the next couple of verses, starting at verse eight. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there, are, if any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here it is, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The critical verse in this section is think about these things. Paul outlines eight things to be thinking about as a response to anxiety, as an antidote to anxiety, as a, in winning the battle for our mind, he says, these are the things that we should be focusing on. Think about these things. The New King James renders that meditate on these things because the word really is about pondering, reflecting, reasoning through, bearing in mind. It's not just thinking about them. It's sinking into them and allowing them to sink into us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, the things that we know about him, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought that shouldn't be there captive and we fill our minds with the things that ought to be there. And these eight things that we're going to move through rather quickly are in large measure the things we should fill our minds with. I like the way the NIV renders this passage in 2 Corinthians 10. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every thought, every lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, a few of these things we're going to focus on very significantly. A few we're going to need to move through more quickly at the end. But let me say this. In some passages of scripture where there's a list, we need to stop and examine each one because they're significantly different from each other. The fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 is one of those things worthy where all nine of those, we're going to focus on love and on joy and on peace and on patience and so forth, understanding the full comprehensive fruit of the spirit in that chapter. These eight elements in this passage are much more like the colors on a color wheel from Home Depot than a list of separate items. In other words, when you go to Home Depot because you want to paint your room or you want to use a variety of complementary colors, you get a palette where these several colors go together and complement one another. 
That's what it's like here in these eight things. They are shades of color in a similar palette about things that we ought to focus on. We're going to focus on a few and mention others as we go through. The first, and I believe the first among equals in this discussion that Paul outlines, I don't think that it's uh, by accident that it's first, is that we are to focus on what is true. What is true. That means consistent with fact or reality, not false. Remember in our series on the armor of God, we talked about the very first thing. Again, I think it's important that it's the first piece of the comprehensive armor of God is to to surround ourselves with a belt of truth, that we gird ourselves with that, that we find the support for our core with truth. Winston Churchill once said, the great thing is to get the true picture, whatever it is. We need to know what's true. We can't move forward if the information that we have is false. My wife has always said when it comes to health issues in our, in our family, she's always said, I just need to know what is. Whatever it is, we'll deal with it. We'll manage it. We'll walk with Jesus through it. We just need to know what it is. And I think she's right. As you know, my daughter is going to be graduating in December uh, from the nursing program at Liberty and then getting married in January. Well, part of that graduation in December requires that she go to senior summer, that she take classes through the spring, through the summer, and into the fall and graduate in December. Well, I think we all assumed that senior summer was a given. You just say, I want to go to senior summer, and you're kind of in. Well, we discovered not that long ago that that's not the case, that you actually have to be accepted. Well, what if I'm not accepted? Well, that means that now you can't graduate in December. It means that now you have to go through school up to May and graduate in May of 2025. Married. Well, that's tricky because her fiancé is a full-time firefighter here in Loudoun County. So how are we going to manage that? So, of course, the anxiety in our household now suddenly goes through the roof about what happens if senior summer doesn't happen. Well, let's focus on what's true. So I called up my daughter, Natalie, and had a conversation, and then I recounted it to my wife, Sharon, and Stone, her fiancé. And this is what I said. I said, Natalie, let's focus on what's true. Number one, what's true is at the end of the day, no matter how this plays out, no matter what happens, no one is going to die. Let's just start with the basics. No one's going to die from this. Okay, good. We got that squared away. If you end up getting married and still have to be in school, Stone works nine 24-hour shifts a month as a firefighter. He can come up, stay with us the night before, start at 6 a.m., go to 6 a.m., drive back to Lynchburg. You are marrying the most positive, flexible, self-sacrificial guy that I've known at the age of 23. And as I'm recounting this to my wife and to Stone, that's when he starts stretching. He's like, yeah, I'm flexible, all right. He's like, you know, I'm like, no, not that, you stooge. I mean, I know you're flexible like that. Well, praise the Lord, she did get into senior summer. But the antidote to the anxiety of that moment is to focus on what is true. What's true is by May of 2025, you will be a nurse and you will be married. However it plays out, that's what's going to happen. And that's what we're going to focus on because that's what's true. And God is going to walk through with you in that. So let's stop the anxiety. Focus on what's true. 
Second thing is that we are to focus on what's honorable. What's honorable, worthy of respect and dignified. We have a quote from a famous painter, Rembrandt, who said, a godly mind prizes honor above worldly good. I think he was right. A godly mind prizes honor. You know, honor used to be a very significant significant element of our culture. It's not so much anymore. Tomorrow at Cornerstone Chapel will be the funeral for Trevor Brown, the firefighter who lost his life in the explosion here in Sterling. I will be attending the funeral tomorrow, not because I knew Trevor or will likely meet his family, but because I want to honor him for the fact that he served our community. He lost his life in my community. He lost his life two doors down from a family in our church who have been displaced from their home because of all that. And then the honorable thing to do is to honor him. There are firefighters coming from all over the place to come to Loudoun County tomorrow to serve Loudoun County so that all of our firefighters in Loudoun County can be at the funeral tomorrow because that's the honorable thing to do. We are called to be honorable and to hold up those who we should honor. And when we lift up honor, when we honor others, when we look at life from an honorable perspective, that is an antidote to anxiety, to live a life of honor. A quality that is exemplified by Jesus Christ himself. He honored us. He lifted us up by going to the cross. Number three, a third thing we should meditate on is justice. What is just? Conformity to justice, law, and morality. I heard a story recently about a grandmother who came to learn that her two grandsons were involved in an incident of significant vandalism on a local facility in their town. And when she learned of that, the one thing that she did was she turned them in because it was the just thing to do. She didn't want her grandchildren, her grandsons to learn, to understand that it's okay to vandalize other people's property Now, I know that not every government in the world is uh, a government that is worthy (laughs) or that would manage such things well. But Proverbs 17, 15 says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. And sometimes the hard call is that we seek justice even when it is difficult. When we live in a world, when we provide justice, when we seek justice, It contributes to a global journey for us that is an antidote for anxiety because it's a battle for the mind. Number four, pure. Having the characteristics of moral purity and innocence. You know, most of us have grown very, very accustomed today to the exposure that we have largely through media, through television, through movies and so forth to things that generations prior to ours were never, ever, ever, ever exposed to. Some of you were children, perhaps, in the 1940s when the TV became commonplace in the average home in America. 
And TV in those days were filled with things like the honeymooners and leave it to beaver and these sorts of things where bad language and sexual innuendo and on and on and on never found a place. And you and I have to often in the shows that we watch turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to things that generations before us were never ever exposed to. And it is increasingly challenging for us to live with purity of thought, to purify our lives, our minds, our hearts. And when we live purely, when we meditate on the things of Christ that are pure, we raise the standard in our own lives that is an antidote for anxiety. Next is lovely, pleasing, and agreeable. What do you find lovely? What do you find lovely in the things of our world? You know, I have a good friend who moved here from Northern Virginia to uh, Virginia Beach. And every single morning, he takes a walk on the beach at sunrise every day. And he will routinely send me a picture or a video of the crashing surf with a beautiful sunrise. And every time he sends it, I stop to look. Because we all need more of the lovely in our lives. We are distracted. And when we meditate on the lovely, our minds are cleansed and our capacity to respond to the anxieties of our lives is increased. Just a couple more and then we're done. Commendable. That which is worthy of being praised or approved. We are to focus on those things of good repute. Proverbs 22, one says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. You know, I've made some mistakes in my life. I've made some mistakes in ministry. But one of the things that blesses me the most, and it is by God's grace, because I know many pastors who have fallen in their journey in Christ as pastors. But by God's grace, I am blessed to have a good reputation in Northern Virginia after 27 years of ministry. And I am blessed to have people contact me from those early days, if you will, and encouraged about the journey and what God has done in their life and the foundation that was established in earlier days of ministry. Can I tell you, there is nothing that you carry with you that is more calming and encouraging and valuable than knowing that you have a good name, that you are honored by people in the community, by your small group, by whatever, because you are an honorable person who lives a life that is commendable. A couple more, excellence, mental virtue that enables one to achieve the end or purpose. Living with a sense of purpose in excellence, doing everything you do to the glory of God, worthy of praise, that which deserves high commendation. You know, there's eight of these things. Again, I wish we could jump more deeply into all of them. But for, in the battle for the mind, I want to encourage you to consider which of these rises to the top. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. For me, It's truth. When I live with the foundation of what is true, when I pursue truth, when I embrace truth, that to me is the greatest antidote to anxiety in my own journey. Four things today as we wrap up. 
Four things today as we head into communion and we're gonna sing a song in just a moment that I'm gonna ask you to meditate on these four. When we consider the battle for our mind, the challenge is that each of us must choose, choose to rejoice in the Lord. You do have a choice, even in the midst of your great challenge. Number two, to know that the Lord is near. To know that the Lord is near. Do you believe it? In the midst of those anxious moments to pray, prayer, supplication or petition with thanksgiving. And number four, win the battle for your mind. Where does the battle for your mind occur? You must win it if you are to be able to rise above and face the anxieties and the burdens of our lives. I'm going to pray. And then uh, Julie and Michael are going to do a song for us as you meditate as we head into communion. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage that is just jammed with things to consider related to the battle for our mind as we consider the stresses and anxieties of our lives. Lord, you command us, don't be anxious about anything. But you don't just leave us there. You give us some encouragement, some instruction on how we can do that in the power of your spirit. Lord, as we consider this song, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. We thank you, Lord. As we consider the body of Christ, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that by your broken body, we have the capacity to navigate this life. You have forgiven our sins and given us your Holy Spirit to walk with us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Let's participate in the bread together. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you that you were willing to go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, renew our minds. Lord, we recognize that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. The things we think about, the things we meditate on, those things become our direction. And Lord, may we first meditate on you and what you've done for us. May we choose to rejoice. May we know that you are near. 
May we pray and lift our concerns to you. And may we win the battle for our mind.